Hello and welcome to the Royal Central podcast from royalcentral.co.uk. I'm Lydia Starbuck, desk editor. I am Monique Bloxy, assistant editor. And I'm Kristen Contino, the chief reporter. Hooray, we've got Kristen with us this week. It's <laughs> lovely to have you along. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got lots to talk about. It's been another really busy Royal Week, visits all over the place. Um, and shall we start with the one that's got us quite a lot of hits on royalcentral.co.uk, Kate and William in Pakistan. They made a visit from the 14th to the 18th of October. And Kristen, I know you've been following it very, very closely for us on Royal Central. How did it go? I think it's been a really great success of a tour. And as you know, I'm interested in the fashion aspects. Um, we'll have more on that on the site. But I think just in general, they have shown all different sides of the country, different landscapes, different people they've met. Even I've seen a lot of people on social media comparing things that Kate has worn to, you know, similar outfits of Diana, these side by side comparisons. And Sometimes I feel like it's a stretch, like, okay, she wore green. That's, you know, <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. Really <laughs> she's copying her mother-in-law. But um, yeah. I think in certain instances you can see, you know, maybe it's a little yeah. shout out to her, which I think is nice. And I've written for Royal Central about Diana's visits to Pakistan and just through the 90s um, when she's been there and, you know, visiting the cancer hospital and the work she did with actually Imran Khan, who is now the prime minister, um, who was her really dear friend. So it's interesting to see the Cambridges meet him now. And yeah, yeah so yeah. many years later. Yeah, it seems they've also thrown in a lot of people that Diana met. And there's just the same people meeting Kate and William now. It's really, really nice. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice touch. And it comes quite soon after Harry and Meghan doing similar things in South Africa. Of course, Harry yeah. famously walking in Diana's footsteps through the minefields and, and back in the area that she had walked through, which has now been completely restored to a kind of normal life. It's now a street and he was able to meet people that she met. So her influence kind of carries on. But should we go back to the fashion for a moment, Kristen? Because you gave us that lovely preview on our podcast last week, talking about some of the issues that Kate might face because of the different culture that she is dressing in while in Pakistan. How she met that challenge, do you think? I think she's done really well. And with Vaisal, um, she had her white ensemble on playing cricket and it does have little white flowers embroidered into it i was talking last week about the jasmine um <laughs> being the national flower of pakistan so i was feeling a little little bit pleased with myself <laughs> but yeah this looked really lovely and appropriate for the culture and um you know like we saw with diana princess of wales you know wearing the scarves and the traditional dress and i like that she has incorporated you know a pakistani designer into her wardrobe she's worn a lot of the same woman um maheen khan and also Catherine walker but i like how she you know, even when she did use the Catherine Walker ensemble getting off the plane, it was a traditional dress, you know, with the trousers underneath. So even though it wasn't actually, you know, from a Pakistani designer, it was styled to look, you know, in the sense to give um, a nod to their culture. But she she's not been the real fashion star of Royal Visit Pakistan. <laughs> Because against all the odds, William surprised us <laughs> with his very own. I was wondering if someone was going to say something. <laughs> and I think he looked great. I mean, yeah. he was rocking that outfit. And he looked, I mean, the smile on his face in that one photo is, you know, the biggest <laughs> smile I've seen in a while. Um, so he looks like he's having a great time. And 
Yeah, good for him. I don't know, for me, that engagement also kind of summed up the kind of modern edge they're trying to bring to a traditional tour because they were doing sort of the usual things that we expect. We've spoken about it before on the podcast, how they kind of stick more to the traditional way of doing raw tours and they go to big cultural events. But even though they were kind of going to a traditional reception with all the speeches, William did the star statement and they arrived in the in the, the tuk-tuk. I saw that and I had spent some time in India and I never went in one because the drivers there were terrifying. <laughs> it was zigzag all over the place when my husband went in one um, with his co-workers. I never went in one and now I kind of forget. <laughs> so that was a bit of a highlight. What have been the other highlights for you of the tour? Mo, what's your, been your highlight of Royal Visit Pakistan? Actually, I really liked the, the very first shot that we saw of them getting off the plane, like with all the backlight and stuff, like the photo that was taken from behind them. That was great. That was a great photo. Yeah. And it was really uh, an excellent start to the tour, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of epic, wasn't it? It gave that yeah, yeah. Of, of this being a big moment. And yeah, kind of a big definitely. Tour. Because it is, I mean, they've not done a big foreign visit for a while, have they? And previously, they, they've kind of been on the European itinerary. They did quite a lot in Europe in 2017 so they went to Germany went to Luxembourg they went to Poland so it's quite nice to see them doing something on this scale again I think and I think they looked quite comfortable hopefully more to come in the future and what do you think I mean obviously we've had Harry and Meghan in South Africa in the last few weeks we've had Kate and William in Pakistan has this helped the image of the younger generation because over the summer we'd kind of spent weeks hearing all these different battles between groups of fans on Twitter or dissecting how the press is treating each of the the so-called Fab Four. Does mm. it feel like it's put a more positive spin on the work of the younger generation, these two tours? I think and the South Africa tour certainly got a lot of positive press. I mean, as we all know, there was the, um, the lawsuit announced at the end. So I think for some people, you know, thought that maybe put a damper on the positiveness of it. But I think there has been tons of positive news on both couples, you know, with these tours. So that has been great. I think tours like this do help because it takes the attention away from all the negativity. So seeing them do their jobs and and get on with it, I think it helps against the negativity. Yeah. Well, there'll be lots more on the Cambridges and the Sussexes on rollcentral.co.uk. And of course, always lots of positive social media coverage from us. We're on Twitter yeah. at Royal Central, Instagram, royal.central. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just have a good old look around. And one thing that we have just shared on all three of those sites, actually, is a piece that our deputy editor, Brittany Barge, has written about the new programme on our partner, True Royalty TV. It's linked to William and Kate in Pakistan because they're focusing on the couple and looking at this tour as the latest stage in their kind of development to becoming king and queen eventually. I mean, that might still be a very long way off, but mm. it's some, some time in the future. So True Royalty TV at the moment are looking um, specifically at the Duchess of Cambridge's journey to becoming a very modern queen, all the different elements of that job that she's slowly incorporating into her public life. And I suppose it must be something that's always in the back of their minds that hopefully for mm-hmm. them... 20, 25 years away, they want, you know, granny and dad around for as long as possible. But at some point, they're going to have to step up to those jobs. I suppose it must be very difficult to have to wait for a job and then have your parent die for you to have that job. That's such a strange 
yeah strange feeling really? and then it's really quite unusual for for us here in the netherlands because you know we have a tradition of abdication and so for us the, the passing of the crown is a happy moment it's never going to be like that in the uk so that's really a shame yeah certainly not in this generation because i can't no. see the queen abdicating and i don't think charles will either going forward no. something that william William considers, but like you say, you, you're kind of taking on the role you've been getting ready for your whole life mm. at a time when your world's fallen apart and you've got to cope yeah. with one of the most traumatic things that will ever happen to you as well. It is a very, very unusual and demanding circumstance. True Royalty TV focusing on Kate's journey to becoming a very modern queen, which takes us on to the history of royal women, Mo. I don't know if that mm -hmm. phrase means anything to anyone involved in this podcast. No? no nothing at all. No, no, not me. <laughs> not guilty as charged. But on royalcentral.co.uk, we have um, some lovely history articles, many of them by Mo, many of them by Kristen. Mm. And we thought this mm. week we could have a look at some of the royal women we've featured because, Kristen, you've been talking about one of um, history's perhaps most maligned women with a very well-respected author. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, I went to an event with Dr. Helen Castor, who some of our listeners might be familiar with. She's on the BBC a lot, and she does documentaries about a uh, history of royal women and some other women, Joan of Arc, she's done. But this uh, particular lecture I attended was about Lady Jane Grey. So I got the chance to sit down with Helen for about 20 minutes and interview her and it's just really interesting um, hearing her thoughts on Jane Grey. And, you know, I asked her, do you consider her actually as one of England's queens? Because she, you know, never had a coronation. Uh, she only mm -hmm. was queen for nine days. And her answer to me was interesting because she said, you know, at the time, coronation wasn't actually the thing that made you, you know, king or queen mm -hmm. per se. Um, but I think it was more because her reign was so short and because no one really accepted her like the public didn't really accept her as queen and the people in politics at the time didn't actually you know fully accept her as queen i mean her claim was you know a little bit iffy yeah, um, she's quite unknown yeah and so she helen said she herself didn't consider her to be a queen of england which i found interesting so i've heard people actually someone who she interviewed on her documentary about jane yeah. grace he did consider her as a queen and she actually doesn't <laughs> say her thoughts on the documentary but yeah she told me she didn't um I honestly don't know what I think I can see both sides I don't have yeah. I guess like a final yeah. thought on that myself but it, it is interesting because I would say having been brought up in the English education system Jane Grey to us was always Lady Jane Grey which kind of even before you've got onto the debate means she's not a queen you know we never yeah, called exactly. Queen Jane Grey she was never Queen Jane it was always Lady Jane Grey I think because of the brevity of the reign, just being nine days, obviously there's lots more with Helen Castor in those two pieces that Kristen's got on rawcentral.co.uk about her interview over Lady Jane Grey. But she's kind of one of those, she is a kind of maligned figure in history, isn't she? Because as you were saying, Mo, she wasn't popular in her time. Mary I, who became mm. queen, was hugely yeah. popular at the start of her reign, even though we look back and think, my goodness me, she was so unpopular because <laughs> yeah. of what happened afterwards. <laughs> but she, um, Mary kind of grabbed the spotlight as England's first regnant, but there seems mm. to be more and more debate now about whether actually we should recognise Jane in that capacity. Yeah. Actually, there's, there's also a woman in Scotland who could claim that title, so... 
a, a, a girl, yeah, Margaret, the maid of Norway, she could also be considered the first queen of the British Isles. So she died on her way to Scotland. So there's another one, Matilda. Yeah, um, yeah Matilda as well. Yeah. yeah, Helen talked about a bit, um, and she just said that you know she didn't consider either of them really as queens. In if you know you're going to make a list of all the monarchs, but yeah. they, you know, Jane, I guess can claim the title of the first proclaimed queen of England, yeah. which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, because Matilda came really close and then seemed to like, annoy yeah. everyone that supported her and lost her yeah. claim at the last minute. It's Matilda, the daughter of Henry I, who was battling her cousin Stephen for the throne because she was left as the only heir after Henry's only legitimate son died in the White Ship disaster, yeah. like, when everyone was slightly tipsy and got on a boat that sank which is <laughs> probably quite uh, I always know, a mistake always a mistake <laughs> and kind of it, it was a major disaster that kind of like mm. English politics for decades afterwards even though for us it's kind of the dim and distant past but Jane yeah. and Matilda are kind of just some of the many maligned women who don't get perhaps the credit they deserve mm. in history yeah. which is and still, I guess Mary falls under that category as well she's done so much for women after her for her sister elizabeth but because she's known as bloody mary it's like oh it's just her it's just yeah it's sad really it is we were saying that jane even if she didn't become successful she did like you know mo was saying pave the way for future mm -hmm. women like mary and elizabeth to become queen and we can yeah. thank her for that yeah <laughs> And it is quite good, isn't it? Because we we do seem to be reconsidering history with a more female perspective. And that's what you've been trying to do, though, isn't it? In, in your yeah. first book. I know your second one is coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. We'll talk about that on a future podcast. <laughs> but at the moment, um, yeah. your, your first book was about a woman who kind of, in many ways, shaped much of royal Europe as we know it. Mm -hmm. But yes, her name's yes. been all but forgotten. Yeah, uh, her name is Carolina of Orange Nassau. She was a granddaughter of King George II. At the time of her birth, she was the only child of her parents, um, William, Prince of Orange and Anne, Princess Royal. And so it was actually expected that she would become Princess of Orange in her own right until the birth of her brother. And um, she married a kind of insignificant German prince that had a lot of children and lost half of them. But she is the ancestress of all the reigning kings and queens of Europe now. So, And without her, we wouldn't have had Mozart. She saved his life. So she was pretty significant. And yet, no one knows who she is. So please buy the book and read it. And you'll see she was a lovely woman. And you can find out more. Because, she, yeah, like her name is completely forgotten. But as you mm -hmm. said, every ruling dynasty in Europe is descended yeah. from her. So without her, we would probably have a whole host of different monarchs if we had monarchs at all Definitely. in different countries yeah. and obviously her maternal influence has been spread across Europe through the spread of her family. Yeah I got to read some of her letters and she was just a great supporter of her brother and uh, her nephew who of course became the first king of the Netherlands. It's, it's a shame that she is so forgotten. And she kind of occupies an interesting position in reflection um, of how the Dutch monarchy is now because Although Carolina didn't get to succeed because she had a brother, actually, yeah. for the last century, 
men have had <laughs> second place in the Netherlands until yeah. now, until King Willem Alexander. He is king now, and he yeah. and Maxima have spent um, the last week in India. So yes. it's probably been the most standout state visit, hasn't we? We've also had Matilda and Philippe in Luxembourg. I did to- like seeing their mode of transportation. They took a train to Luxembourg, which was basically oh. all first class. <laughs> and Matilda <laughs> appeared in a completely different outfit than the one she uh, got on board in. So I wonder how she did that on a moving train. Yeah, we had um, Willem Alexander who flew or co-pilot his own plane to India. That was uh, quite a surprise as well because I'm he flies he flies quite a bit, but it's usually uh, short haul flights, I believe. I thought it was cool how he said the other day when he gave a speech at the state banquet for them, and he said that he had inherited his love of India from his parents. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. And he talked quite a, li- a lot about, um, you know, the relationship between the two countries and their friendship. And it's just been a really nice tour, I think. And people, at least for me, I think when you go like to Pakistan or India, people are more interested in that sometimes because it's a culture, you know, for us that you might not be as familiar with. It's always a colorful tour. Um, yeah. you know, you're seeing more traditional dress and different things than if they go to, you know, Australia or something like that. So I think that maybe adds a little bit of interest to the tour as well. What did you think of her uh, her state banquet dress? Did you oh, see the photos? Was, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a bit. <laughs> it was extra, but I mean, Max is extra, so. Yeah, she looked, she'll, she'll look good in a garbage, garbage bag. <laughs> She's the one royal that you always go, only she could wear it. But yeah. some yes. her clothes, it's only she could wear it. Yeah, this was definitely one of those dresses. <laughs> yeah, she's looked she's looked pretty spectacular throughout the tour. And again, Kristen, another challenging fashion situation for her there because, again, there are cultural issues that need to be taken into account. But she's also recycled a lot, hasn't she? We've seen most of the outfits at some point before. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, I mean, it shows for her that she's trying to be, you know, thrifty here or not. You know, she doesn't want to take the attention from their visit at hand or, you know, the place where they're visiting by having some, you know, flamboyant. I mean, sometimes her outfit is flamboyant, but, you know, it's something we've seen before. So the article isn't going to be about the dress, Mm. which sometimes drives me crazy. I mean, I know I write fashion articles, but if you're writing a fashion article for a fashion article, that's, you know, one thing. But I hate when the headline is, you know, so-and-so rocked a green dress at the cancer hospital or whatever. I mean, I'm being dramatic here, but (laughs) always with Amal Clooney, too, which I know she's not royal. She's, I guess, kind of royal adjacent at this point. Yeah, semi-royal at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Articles, and it was like she was um, arguing, you know, about very high-level issue Mm -hmm. and women and sexual violence and things like that. And the headline literally was about her dress. Yeah. And that drives me nuts, but that's a total tangent right there that I went on. <laughs> well, no, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. point, isn't it? Because there is so much focus now on royalty and, and they're kind of, so much of it is on what they're wearing. And like you say, if you're doing a piece like there have been, I mean, I noticed one on even a major broadcaster's website, you know, Kate wearing the same kind of clothes as Diana, that's mm-hmm. one thing, but... Do you think sometimes fashion can detract from what the royals are trying to do or not necessarily their fashion, but how people focus on it? Yeah, I, I do think that the issues should be more of a focus. But at the end of the day, the general public is probably a little more interested in what you know Kate or Megan is wearing than, you know, where they went to. Yeah. And I think know. it's difficult for them, isn't it? Because like you were saying, Maxim has picked these clothes that we've seen before. So <laughs> even if they're really flamboyant, 
the kind of the initial novelty value is gone. So you can kind of say, well, yeah, that's a spectacular hat. We saw it three times previously, but the kind of the, the initial focus has gone. So that helps to put some some of the focus back on what she's talking about. But then I sometimes think it's really difficult for royal women in particular, because no matter what they wear, someone somewhere will pick up and and if if it becomes the main focus of like you say a visit to a, a hospital or a school or something like that how much control do they have over that's true this portrayed i think megan did a really good job of that in south africa uh, particularly a lot of most of her items were rewares um or you know j crew or things like that where I mean, of course, people were talking about her clothes, but it was more, you know, when she's wearing a denim jacket and black jeans, I mean, there's not really too much to say about that. Um, you know, it's a nice casual outfit, but it really put the focus on, you know, the kids they were visiting and those issues. So I thought that was a very well done tour in that aspect. So we're going to be quite quiet on the state visit from, from now on. We always seem to get a flurry of them in October and then everyone sort of settles down and gets ready for Christmas. But we have got some big royal events going on. We've got many of Europe's ruling houses sending representatives to Japan in the next few days because the new emperor's enthronement ceremonies take place there on the 23rd and 24th of October. And there will be lots of coverage on royalcentral.co.uk. And shall we finish by looking ahead to another big celebration? Because Belgium is about to maybe fall <laughs> cake because the heir to the throne there is about to turn 18. And she's the first of this new generation of young heirs to come of age. So what's in the future for Elizabeth of Belgium as she becomes an adult royal? Well, right now it's going to stay pretty quiet around her. I will have the stamp, of course, but... Uh, for now, Elizabeth is going to continue her studies uh, in Wales, where she is now, and she won't receive any money from the state until she's ready to do royal duties. So, I think we'll uh, she'll remain under the radar for the few years to come. But uh, it's exciting anyway, because if if necessary, she's ready to take up the throne. There'll be lots of coverage of Elizabeth's birthday as well. We're expecting the celebrations to be fairly low-key, aren't we? As you said, we've had yeah. the stamp, the official stamp that King Philippe took the photograph for, um, and that's going to be shared to mark her 18th birthday. But there will be other events, so that will all be on the site, royalcentral.co.uk. But for now, should we leave it there and say thank you to everyone for listening? Thank you, Kristen, for joining us. Thank you thank for you. having me today. No, we hope you'll come again soon. Um, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, but we will see everyone next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.